If you remember way back to 1967, if you were alive then, there was a song that was penned by that immortal rock group, the Bee Gees, uh, that was a hit for them and then a hit later, interestingly, for Elvis Presley. And one of the lines of that song said this, it's only words, and words are all I have to steal your heart away. Now, I would submit to you that there's a profound truth there that the Bee Gees were probably not thinking about when they wrote that song. But the idea that words matter enormously, the voices that we listen to, the voices that we believe, and what they say matter enormously. And it's interesting that in our culture, there are lots of little sayings that you might have heard from your grandmother about words. Things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or, it is better to remain silent and appear stupid than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. Or, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Or the southern version of that, if you can't say something nice, come sit next to me. Or that little aphorism, be careful of the words you say. Keep them short and sweet, because you never know from day to day which words you'll have to eat. Or perhaps more troublingly, from Frederick Nietzsche, all I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and I can use words to turn the world upside down. My friends, words matter. And this morning, our gospel lesson talks about that. And before we get to the gospel lesson, I want us to just think quickly um, about what does the scripture say about God and his word? I want us to then look at who has the words of eternal life and then what our response should be to that. So what does scripture say about God and his word? It's very interesting if you look at scripture that it starts off with God speaking very early in the first couple of verses of the book of Genesis, God speaks, and when he speaks, things happen. And God continues speaking throughout the revelation of Scripture right through the book of Revelation. And God's words to us are unbelievably important. And scattered throughout Scripture are all sorts of amazing verses about God and his word. Remember, Jesus in his temptation says to Satan, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the Psalms we hear, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Matthew, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And then in Corinthians, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hebrews 1 says this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his word of power. Everything is held together by God's word that he speaks to us. 
And as we said in Genesis, the scripture starts off with God speaking, and he creates, his word creates the heavens and the earth. And as he walks through that creation, he says things like, let there be light, and his word is so powerful that out of darkness light appears. And then he finally says, let us make man in our own image. And he creates man in the very image of God, and he gives man the gift of speech. We are the only part of God's creation besides God himself that has the gift of speech, the gift of words. Words are part of what it means to be made in the image of God. When you get to the Gospel of John in the beginning, in the prologue, there's that gorgeous section that echoes Genesis that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we hear, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the word there is that great Greek word logos, which is full of meaning about God's power and his strength and his truth. The epistles tell us over and over again, the universe is held together by the word of God. But the problem, I think, for many of us is that even though God is speaking, we're not listening. There are many voices in our lives that are competing for our attention, and many of them are very aggressive and coming at us all the time. And God speaks in a way that he does not demand our attention most of the time. And we choose to listen to other voices. But the problem is that no one has the words of eternal life except Jesus, which brings us to today's gospel. And if you've been following for the past couple of weeks, we've been in John chapter 6, which for what seems like a really long time. And part of John chapter 6 is what is called the bread of life discourse that Justin preached about last week. And in that, Jesus says that he is the bread of life, and he who eats of him will never hunger, will never thirst. He commands people to take his body and take his blood. And he talks about the fact that he is the bread of life. And as he says these things, disputes break out among his hearers, and they get riled up about it, and they say, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And the problem is not so much that they don't really understand it as it is that they understand it and they don't like it. They don't want to do what Jesus is saying. And remember, the people that say, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it, are Jesus' disciples. These are not his enemies. These are not the people that are opposed to him. These are the people who have been following him. And they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus knows that they are grumbling. And you can follow this along in your bulletin. But it says, Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is not business as usual in the kingdom of God. That Jesus has been telling them 
not only who he is, but also about the power of his word and why it matters and how it's much more important than anything else that there is in this world. But it demands that we change in response to it. And if you're like me and like most humans, we don't like change. Change is threatening. As Bishop Salmon used to say, all change is loss. And so we see in this passage that even though Jesus is telling them, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, they are choosing to say that is a hard saying and to not want to follow it. And Jesus says, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And what that means is the eyes of our hearts have to be enlightened to be able to hear and to see from this perspective of Jesus' words of eternal life. And as Jesus says this, many of the disciples turn away and follow him no longer. These are the people that have been with Jesus, that he's been pouring his life into, and they literally turn around and walk away from him. Imagine how that must have felt, how discouraging. And then Jesus looks at the 12 who are among the few that are left and says to them, do you also want to go away? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Sometimes Peter gets it right. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. My friends, that is the crux of the issue right there. That Jesus has the words of eternal life And the words of eternal life are about Jesus himself because he is that life. He is that Zoe, eternal life from God, the everlasting life of the Trinity that he invites us to come into through him. It is an amazing statement of faith on Peter's part. But the problem for so many of us is that we are not quite where Peter is. And we are listening to other things, or we don't like this part of God's word, or that part, or it interferes with us. And we become just like those people that Paul is writing about in 2 Timothy. And he enjoins Timothy to preach the word, to preach the word of God to people, to preach Jesus, to preach the scriptures. And he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I can think of no better description of what is going on in our culture right now. There are so many voices that are out there that are saying things that are so violently contrary to the word of God But sometimes even we as Christians are seduced by those voices. We listen to things that make us feel comfortable about who we are and what we're doing. And so we like that affirmation rather than the challenge of what Jesus calls us to do. Remember Jesus says in the same gospel passage, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
We must choose the things of the Spirit because the things of the flesh lead only to death. Jesus is the only one who has the words of eternal life. There is no other solution to our sin, to our problems, to the problems that beset this world of ours other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything else is just a stopgap that will ultimately fail in the end. So given all of that, what should be our response to the fact that Jesus is the one who has the words of eternal life? And I would suggest to you that the first response for all of us, whether we are Christians or whether we are not Christians, is to stop for a moment, to pause, to break our step, and to evaluate what voices, what words are we listening to? What words give meaning and framing to our worldview? What do we believe really matters? What do we believe is the purpose of our life? And as we reflect on that, it becomes clear that there is a choice to be made, a choice either to believe that Jesus alone has the words of life and to align ourselves with him and his kingdom or to go our own way. I remember some years ago, back in 1976, before some of you were born, that I was at a marvelous uh, conference called Urbana that was at the University of Illinois, and we were there with 18,000 other Christian students singing hymns and hearing amazing teaching from John Stott and Billy Graham and J.I. Packer and Louis Palau. But out of that time, the most impactful thing that I heard at that whole conference was a teaching given by Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of Jim Elliot, the famous missionary who died uh, in his 20s bringing the gospel uh, to native peoples in Ecuador. And as she spoke about this choice that we have about which words are we going to believe, I found that my own heart was very stirred. And I want to share those words that she spoke with you. She said this, We start then with the recognition of who God is. He is our creator, the one whose spoken word called into being the unimaginable thing called space and the equally unimaginable thing called time. He set the stars in their trajectories and put the sliding shutter on the lizard's eye. This is the God who dreamed you up, who thought of you before light even existed, created you, formed you, and now calls you by name. He says to you, fear not. He says to you, I have redeemed you. It is the same one who asked you and asked me to do what he wants us to do, to follow his word. The God of creation who's got the whole world in his hands, the God who in the person of Jesus Christ for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made man and was crucified for us. Those hands that keep a million worlds from spinning into oblivion were nailed motionless to a cross for us. That hand that held the stars laid on you. Can you trust him? This world is his show. He's running it. Do we think of it as under our own management? 
created for the service of our own desires. It is, our, is it our world? Sort of make your own Sunday sort of proposition with the will of God, a nice creamy squirt of earthly success and heavenly approval that goes on top. No. The will of God is not something you add to your life. It is a course that you choose. You either line yourself up with the Son of God and say to the Father, Thy will be done. You have the words of eternal life. Or you capitulate to the principle that governs the world and say, My will be done. One way leads to life, the other to death. The amazing thing about the Christian message is that it is both exclusive because Jesus is the only name through which we can be saved and inclusive because anyone, everyone in the world can call upon that name. St. Paul puts it this way in Romans 10. The word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. It's important not only to believe in your mind and your heart, but to actually to say that you have done so. Paul continues saying, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. My friends, Peter spoke a great truth when he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. And I would invite you this morning to consider in your own hearts where you are, which choice you have made. Are you seeking and embracing the one who fo- who's called you to follow him, who holds the word of life in his hand and offers it to you, or are you seeking your own way? There's no better time than in church to trust Christ with your life. If you've never done that before or if you've done it several times before, being willing to commit yourself anew and afresh is always the way to grow closer to Christ. So let's close in a word of prayer, and I would invite you to consider this prayer along with me. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you the pride and hypocrisy and self-importance of our lives. We confess to you our sins. Lord, we know that you alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, I choose to repent. I choose to trust you with my life and to ask you to come in to save me through your word that I might live with you eternally. Lord, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that when we ask that you forgive us and that you draw us to you. And for that we say, thanks be to God. Amen.